Well, thank you all again for gathering here this morning. Uh, I don't get to say thanks for bringing the church into a YMCA, uh, but I do get to say thank you for bringing the church into whatever space you happen to be in. So some of us are here at the branch uh, this morning. Some of you are in your living room or listening, wherever you happen to be. Um, We are still the church. The gathering looks a bit different um, than it does on most weeks, Um, but it's good to gather and it's good to sing and it's good to Uh, Praise King Jesus through song. We're going to open up his word. Um, One of the things I always marvel at is months prior to a sermon series, the reality is we lay out kind of a plan of, okay, we're going to be in this text and this week and this sort of thing. And we have no idea. As best, you know, we might think that we're good planners and whatnot and kind of thinking, like, okay, well, we'll be able to, this will be helpful. And, like, we have no real clue as to what actually is going to be happening. Uh, Certainly, we had no idea what was going to be happening in the world these particular weeks leading up to this text. But as God would have it, like, I literally couldn't probably think of a better passage in some ways to just like if addressing what's happening in our world than where we happen to be. So I didn't even have to change uh, the sermon series or, or title or text or any of that. I'm not saying our planning caused this, so don't go there, all right? But, um, but I'm glad that we get to be in this text this morning. So here's what I want to encourage you to do um, as we open up God's Word. We're continuing our series in the book of 2 Corinthians, and so there's some Bibles on chairs. If you're at your home, wherever, get your Bible out. I uh, would encourage you, especially if you're watching online, it can be a real temptation to sort of uh, yeah, be doing other things and kind of have it on the background, but I think this is an important time wherever you have happen to be. Um, And let's open up the scriptures and let's dive in uh, together. And as always, you can get on your phone and go to cpwp.life and go over to the message notes. um, And there you'll find the text this morning uh, as well. So uh, no page number for the Bibles. We have different ones here at the branch. uh, So you can try and find 2 Corinthians. Table of contents is your friend. There's no shame in the table of contents. And so um, as I read this, so wherever you happen to be, um, and if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as I read this text, um, and then we're going to pray a prayer uh, together, asking God to illuminate our minds, our thinking, our hearts, to be open to what he would have for us. But let me go ahead and read this. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes these words. He says, beginning in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, it belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 13, since then, he says, we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written I believed and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, and that is so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are 
eternal. Would you join me in praying this? The words are there on the screen. Let's read these aloud, but it's more than just reading it. Make this our prayer together this morning. Read aloud with me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to look at this passage for a few moments and just praying that God might bring some real gospel encouragement as we talk about this series, the light of the gospel. The reality is there's a darkness, there's a heaviness, and man, we have felt that more this week than probably we have in a, maybe in a long while perhaps, or some of it, maybe just the reality of like, man, this just feels like one thing on top of another. It's been a hard season. There's been difficult things happening, and now there's this, and maybe you're coming in like, what in the world? What do I even do with this? And the Lord has a word, I think, for us here this morning. And so I want to look at these first few verses here um, and talking about the the medium that God is communicating to us about how he uses us to communicate the good news to other people. All right. So the medium and the the message, we look at verses 7 to 12. Now, back in the, I was going to say the 20th century, like it sounds like it's so long ago. All right. But there was a Canadian philosopher by the name of Marshall McLuhan. All right. He died, I think, in like around in the early 80s. Um, and one of the things that he did, he coined the term, the phrase that you've perhaps heard before, and you see it there in the, the background, the medium is the message. And what he meant by that, I mean, there's a lot of things he probably uh, meant by it, but at a very kind of basic level, he was talking about the reality of like whatever medium or whatever kind of mode of communication is used, like that in and of itself actually communicates something, all right? And so getting a letter communicates in a certain way versus getting a text, all right? Um, getting an emoji, all right, might be fun or interesting or whatever, but like, let's be honest, like, there's a message that's contained in that even of like, this is not a deep dive. Like if somebody just pours their heart out to you and that you just give them a little emoji, it's like, wait, what? Like, because not only what you communicated, but how it's communicated matters uh, as well. And so he talked about this, he coined this phrase and he's like, the reality is, he's a guy even that some 30 years before the internet came on the scene, actually predicted it kind of like in its earliest forms. And so kind of saw the way communication has this great impact, and certainly that has played out. Um, Some things that we're thankful for, thankful that we can communicate uh, in ways, as we're using a live stream this morning, like all of that. But let's also be honest, right, um, that some of the ways that things get communicated can can in and of themselves um, communicate perhaps like celebrity, right? And so we tend to see something in, like you see somebody on the billboard or you see them in your Instagram news feed and there's the influencers. And, and just even that like is communicating something, not so much about the particular post, but about like, oh, like there's this influence. There's all kinds of things that are being communicated. So if that's true, we'll go with that for a moment, that the medium, you know, at least helps communicate the message. It says something, all right? Maybe it's not exclusively the message, but it does communicate I find it really interesting then that in verse 7, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so he uses this word in verse 7. He says, but, so that calls us to say, okay, what preceded it? And so we looked at this last week. In verse 6, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And so it's creation language here, Genesis 1 and 2 that creation sort of power, that 
creational power, it says that actually that same light, that power, that word has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's saying the message is all about, it's about God, it's about what he's done. And the only reason you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, is because he's shown the light into your life, all right? He showcased for you, this is the face of Jesus. And so Paul says now, but, so in light of that, he says, we have this treasure. Well, the treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, like in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. That's the thing that's valuable. And God wants more people to know that treasure, experience that, that treasure, to have their lives transformed by that treasure. And the means by which he uses, or the medium by which he uses, I think it's fascinating, he says that we're jars of clay. All right? So cue the rock band from a few years ago, right? But like in this... He's saying, all right, there's something significant because the point is not me. The point is not you, all right? The point is the treasure. It's Jesus to know him. And the way that that gets communicated, that message is embodied in a medium that Paul says were jars of clay. Well, we might look at that and maybe you've got some pottery in your house or you made it and you might actually value it. And like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, yeah, like I'm a really valuable thing. Well, that, that's not what it would have meant to those in the ancient world. The medium, all right, was communicating something that this is everyday, it's common. Like if you, the way you would maybe think of like a, you know, a Ziploc bag, all right, I don't think you probably treasure that. You put it up on your mantle. You're just like, oh, it's beautiful. Look what I did, right? Like you dispose of it, you throw it away, all right, or you recycle it, whatever you happen to do, right? You don't think of it as anything. It's just, hey, it's just a utilitarian purpose to carry the contents. The contents are what matter. Now, God's not saying you don't matter and I don't matter. We're made in his image. But in comparison, and what is healthy for us to recognize is like, oh, we are these everyday, common, easily breakable. Oftentimes, they'd have cracks in them, but they would still use these jars of clay to transport something that was valuable. And so Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit, is communicating, there's this glorious message and how fascinating that God would choose jars of clay. And so just think this week. My guess is there's been a heightened sense, hasn't there been, of our own weakness, our frailty. I mean, we think like, oh, things are pretty much under control, all right? And then literally everything can come to a screeching halt. I mean, I've said this to numerous people this week. It's amazing how fragile everything is, all right? You're watching the stock market. You're watching every, you know, I mean, just the economy. All, there's so many massive implications, and we don't want to make light of that. We want to pray uh, in, in, during the, this time. But we got to come back to this, that God works. It's a theme over and over again in the book of 2 Corinthians. God works through weakness. You feel weak? You're in a perfect spot. You are a jar of clay that is holding this treasure that is the good news of who Jesus is. And the point is not to look at us, all right? We sometimes want to operate. I want to operate like kind of look impressive, get things all figured out, look a certain way, and draw attention to ourselves. What we need to be doing is drawing attention to what is actually in the jar, which is the good news of the gospel. Who cares what I look like? In fact, we should go the opposite direction, all right? Not try and intentionally make ourselves look bad, but to be willing to admit I am bad. I am a sinner. I am jacked up. I am messed up. This past week reminded me of my weakness, but it's always been that way. It literally is always. Pandemic or not, everything is being upheld right now by the strong hand of the Lord. There's nothing that catches him by surprise. There is 
always a weakness. We just live in denial of it. I live in denial of it. And here's this reminder. You're a jar of clay, and the treasure is Jesus. And in our brokenness and our frailty, we actually get to communicate what is valuable. And you think about it, and this is where Paul's going to go here in these next few verses, it makes total sense because what's our treasure? A crucified Savior, the Messiah who was put on a cross, broken, rejected, abandoned, forsaken, bruised, crushed, mocked, spit upon, flesh of his back ripped off, nailed to a Roman cross, all of that. That doesn't look like victory. That looks like a jar of clay. It looks like something kind of broken and frail and all of this. And yet, what does it do? It turns the world upside down, and there's strength in that. And so it would make sense if we're going to be followers of Jesus. Yeah, we're not impressive. We shouldn't be impressed with ourselves. We're weak. We're frail. We embrace it. But Jesus is king, and Jesus is in control, and we're going to rest in that. In a book called Flickering Pixels, it was a guy who kind of studied Marshall McLuhan and this whole medium is the message thing. He said this, Shane Hips, he says, is it possible that God chose a collection of bent and bruised hearts to bear the message of redemption and reconciliation? Because that is a message in itself. Maybe God chose a medium of weakness to reveal his stunning power to reach through human failure, sin, and sadness to grow new life. That's what's happening here. So when we embrace our identity as jars of clay, when we embrace our weakness, we get to showcase Jesus is strong. Jesus is in control. Jesus has a good plan for us. And yet there's this paradox here, and there's a call. There's an invitation. Look with me, verses 8 to 12 again. And then Paul just rattles these things off. This is all stuff that he experienced. We are afflicted in every way. So look at the momentary, look at the temporary, and then look at the promise. We're afflicted in every way, but I promise you we're not going to be crushed. We are perplexed. Yes, have you been perplexed this week? Trying to figure out what the heck is going on? Like paying attention, like there's a million news sites. Some people are like, you know, the, everything is, you know, completely falling apart. We're all doomed in like two weeks to like, ah, this is fake news and everywhere in between, right? Like it's perplexing out there. We are perplexed, but promise, we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, not forsaken. We're struck down, but the promise is we're not gonna be destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul's saying, like, we embody this gospel message, and the gospel message is one of take up your cross. It's a message of weakness that actually leads to strength in the Lord, all right? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested, all right? He continues in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus so there's this movement from death to life. The life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, Paul is saying, hey, to the church in Corinth, I'm giving of myself. My calling is I look at what Jesus has done. He's given everything to me. And so now I'm pouring myself out for you. So in my death, in my dying to self, you might actually have life. And then when you get in on that, you begin to do the same thing and realize, oh, that's actually where life is found. But there's a paradox, and will you embrace it? And the only way you and I can embrace what verses 8 to 12 are talking about is when we realize, like, oh, my goodness, Jesus went further than this. I mean, you think about some of the descriptions that are here, all right? As these things are rattled off, was he afflicted in every way? Yeah. But he actually was crushed for our sins, for our iniquities, right? Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Isaiah 53 tells us he was a man of sorrow, that he's acquainted with grief. And don't just think, oh, Jesus, yeah, maybe he got a little down once in a while. Like a man of sorrow, like if you're known that way, I mean, there's something about your disposition that there's just a heaviness and a weightiness and a depression, like a sadness that's there. Persecuted but not forsaken. 
What is he crying out from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So yeah, he was persecuted, but he also was forsaken, struck down, but, but not destroyed. Well, in the flesh, at least, destroyed, put to death. Roman centurions, spear through the side, like blood pouring out, blood and water. Like, yeah, the dude was dead. This is what Isaiah 53, I referenced ago. Look, look at this. He was despised and rejected by men. I mean, look at the paradox of how God works, how he uses weakness to bring about and to showcase his strength, his power. Rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So it's not even just a jar of clay that's like, oh, that's just kind of common, you ignore it. It's like actually men hid their faces from him. Like he wasn't actually attractive or necessarily winsome. He didn't seem all put together. Men hid their faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Oh my goodness, talking about an upside down, paradoxical story. And this is what we get to be part of. N.T. Wright says it this way. If you want to see resurrection at work here and now in your own life, you have to be prepared to see crucifixion at work as well. I want resurrection without crucifixion. And it's not the way that it works. A jar of clay recognizes that the story is always about it's crucifixion that leads to resurrection. And so there's hardship and there's difficulty and there's a darkness, but the light of the gospel is breaking through. And in light of that, then look with me at verses 13 to 15. Paul says, you can't keep that to yourself. And so as painful as this past week has been, as confusing as this past week has been, the reality is there is an incredible opportunity for us as the church to actually be able to engage and to speak words of gospel comfort. And you may need to speak words with, you know, some healthy social distancing, all right? And you may not be able to give the hug that you want to give. And yes, we need to follow all of those things. But there is a word to speak. There is a mission that we get to be part of. In verses 13 to 15, it says this. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You see the promises, see what he's resting in. So Paul's dealt with all this difficulty. He's like, this is the story I'm part of. And it, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we want this grace to spill out to more and more people. If there's something that we actually, um, not to make light of it at all, that we want to see become more contagious, it's the grace of God. Like to see that actually move throughout our culture. And it's not just for us and our joy, although it includes that, it's for the glory of God. And so very basic question, like if you identify with this, you're like a jar of clay, treasure, all that, like are you speaking? Are you and I speaking the truths of the gospel? That's our great calling. This is what Paul is so caught up in. He's like, I want to speak about where we have confidence in the truth. At the end of the day, maybe a way to think about it is we can actually speak because we are sure. We are certain. Paul met the resurrected Jesus. You and I have, if you're a follower of him, like you have the Holy Spirit. Like there's this certainty and this confidence. Doesn't mean we have all of our questions answered. Doesn't mean there's not confusing things. This week has been confusing. We should all, it's fair to ask like, gosh, what, what in the world is happening here? God, why is this, this happening? But there is a certainty that God has not abandoned us. That he's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. And so that should lead us and have a confidence to be able to speak. Now, I don't know if you notice this, and we won't spend a ton of time here, but there's in quotes, it says, all right, what has been written? I believed and so I spoke. 
If you drop down, like maybe in your Bible there, there's a little note that says, this is about Psalm 116, all right? I won't read all of it right now, but what's fascinating is this is a thing that oftentimes Jewish teachers would do, and they give this little shorthand, right? They just drop a quick little line, but if you knew the scriptures, you would know it, and a lot of them had this memorized. They'd be like, oh, yeah, we would sing the Psalms in church. I know that. That's a reference to Psalm 116, and so as he's saying, hey, we speak. I've got this confidence. It would be helpful to know, okay, what's Psalm 116 about? And as you go and read it, just look at the opening words. It's a psalm of deliverance. It's a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm that's like, oh my goodness, this has happened? i got to tell everybody. I love the Lord, it says, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, and I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walked before the Lord in the land of the living. And then here's the reference that we get in 2 Corinthians 4. I believed even when I spoke. And then the psalmist says, when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. He's saying, I still believed. I've seen what God has done. Christian, let me remind you of the faithfulness of God. Look over your story. Look back. In the times of trouble and difficulty, we have to go back and say, okay, but God has not abandoned us. God, if we ever doubt the love of God, we have to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ who gave us everything. Look at how he's faithfully pursued us. That's the reference that is going on. And so Paul then calls to mind that at the end of the day, like we are a resurrection people knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with, us, with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's like, there's going to be this resurrection party, and Corinth, like, you're coming, you get to be part of this. Are right? you saying it to us? Like, we get to be in this. Is that your perspective? Do you realize that's the story you're part of? we got to be reminded of that continually, particularly when we're more aware of the darkness and the difficulty. It's like, oh, we're part of a story where there's ultimate redemption and reconciliation. I read a book a number of years ago by an author named N.D. Wilson. Um, I've always appreciated uh, this particular anecdote, this story that I believe I've shared before. But he was out on a walk or a run um, near his home. And in this particular community, he would run and he would uh, oftentimes pass the the community cemetery, the the graveyard. And because he'd lived in that area for a particularly long time or generations had, it wasn't just a bunch of strangers necessarily even buried there. It was a lot of family members and friends and just like going back for generations. He's out on his run, and he, and he you know, look, looks out. And so when I look out, and I look at that, right, if you happen to walk past a graveyard, a cemetery, like, what do you see? Well, it's like, well, I see the tombstones, and I probably know, yeah, there's, you know, there's decaying bodies there, and there's uh, bones, and it's that, that sort of thing. Yeah, I see a graveyard. But I f- appreciate his perspective on this. He's saying, oh, but if we're part of a resurrection story, that's what Paul's talking about here, and we get to share this, we get to speak this good news so he talks about this, and he says, you know what? One day, as I'm out for my walk, I'm eating my lunch in a graveyard. And here's what he sees. Human seeds have been planted in neat little rows. Stone stakes labeled the crop. What's he saying? Well, that's a weird thing to see when you look out over a cemetery, except row by row by row, and there's the names marking 
ooh, it's this person, right? Like we would mark a particular crop that's corn or it's beans or whatever it happens to be. And one day it's going to burst forth, come up, right? Like it's going to burst forth with new life. There'll be resurrection, not just disembodied spirits, but embodied people, flesh and blood resurrected like King Jesus. And not just in this generic sense, but like when I get put in the ground and I'm resurrected, it's Jamie coming out, a resurrected Jamie, a better Jamie, all right? But it's not going to be like this mislabeling. The crop doesn't say something else. It says me and it says you. That's the story that we're part of. And so we'll close with this. Look at verse 16 to 18. Then Paul's like, all right, so we're on this mission, all right? We're living as jars of clay. We're speaking this good news. We're reminding one another of the story that we're part of. And he concludes Along similar themes, just like, have this perspective. And there's so much richness in these verses. In fact, spend some time this week just dwelling on this. Paul says 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart. He keeps repeating that so far in 2 Corinthians. Why? Is he just trying to like, you know, shadow box in front of the mirror? Like, oh, I can't lose heart. Like, I got to pull myself up. Like, just got to get myself pumped up. No, he's reminding himself of the truth that Yes, it's easy to lose heart. Yes, things are difficult. Paul lived a very difficult life. And yet he's like, we don't lose heart. Not because he's in denial, but because he's pressing into the story that he's part of. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How fascinating. The outer self, the flesh, the bones. Not, not, it's not talking spiritual. It's literally talking about like our physical body. Like, right? We feel that. I turned 44 this, this past week, all right? Um, my knees right now are actually aching. I did nothing yesterday but sit in my office, right? And I woke up this morning like, I'm sore. What happened, right? Outer self, wasting away. What do we worry about with everything that's going on? Like, things are going to waste away. And yet, as that's happening, for those that are trusting the Lord, there's this inner renewal that is taking place, being renewed day by day. And then verse 17 says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says it's light and momentary. I think this is one of the most offensive statements in all of Scripture unless it happens to be true. Think about it. If Paul rolled up and said, hey, that thing that you're dealing with, right? That global pandemic, life, you know, it's this light momentary. Oh, that person that you love deeply that is suffering from cancer, it's light and momentary. Oh, that, that kid that you, you have a strained relationship with, uh, it's light and momentary. Oh, you want to have kids, but, but you don't. Oh, it's light and momentary. Oh, that relational strain. Oh, that difficulty. Oh, that psychological brokenness. All of those things, your joblessness, whatever it happens to be, is like light and momentary. It could sound like, dude, Paul, get some bedside manner. You're a terrible pastor. Like, what in the world? Like, thanks, man, light and momentary. Except... When he says, in the grand scheme of the story that we're part of in light of eternity, we will actually look back and say, wow, look what he was doing. He's preparing for us this eternal weight of glory that somehow, someway, even the most difficult things in life, and it's not that we shouldn't weep. Jesus wept right before he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, right? So Jesus is in tune with his emotions. He's emotionally healthy, all of that. And yet, 
Paul can rightly say, it's a light momentary affliction when you realize the story that you've been invited into. Is that our perspective? So Paul tells us when we look, not at the things that are seen, but are unseen. What are you and I staring at? I've been staring this past week at a lot more things that are seen rather than unseen. And the anxiety creeped up, right? The, the pressure, even in putting this together, the pressure to sort of like, oh, forget jars of clay. Like, we got to make sure the live stream looks good and this is going. And do we have the, a good plan in place? And how are we doing in comparison to like what other churches and things are communicating? How are we doing in taking care of people? And all those can be good things, but it can, I can lose sight of like, oh, who am I or how am I doing or evaluation? It's like, whoa, 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 I'm staring at the things that are seen and the Lord Jesus is inviting me to stare at the things that are unseen, to have an eternal perspective, to realize at the end of the day, I need to stare at King Jesus. We've been invited into his presence. And so we're gonna close our time by, by doing that. We're gonna continue. We're gonna worship. We're gonna spend a little bit of time in prayer. We're gonna worship together in song. And my invitation for us, not just right now, but let this flow out this week, when you find yourself in that space where it's like consumed with the newsfeed, consumed with the notifications that keep popping up, consumed with just everything that's happening, pay attention, be a good citizen, do all of that, love your neighbor well, and yet rest in the fact that we're part of things that we can't see, and that's what we actually need to stare at. The writer of Hebrews spoke of something similar, a similar theme in Hebrews 12. He's just laid out in chapter 11 all these various heroes of the faith that came before. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people bearing witness to the reality of Jesus, they experienced the light of the gospel shining in their life. He says, let us also then lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, all the distractions, let's lay it all aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to what? Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The reminder there is, it is so easy for me to take my eyes off of the race, off of the invitation to embody this message as jars of clay, to speak the good news of the gospel, to practically love people, to get consumed and I need to look at this and say, okay, I can't see Jesus face to face, but I have his spirit. And I know right now that he, as this tells us, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I need to see that unseen reality. It is real, even though my eyes can't perceive it. Are we going to be a people that just deal in seen and felt realities or the unseen realities of the story that we're part of? Our opportunity as the church is to point people to what is unseen to know that our God loves us and that he cares and that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus saw a very real cross. He died a very real death. He took on the very real wrath of God for you and for me. He saw a cross so that we could actually see a future, that we could see these unseen realities and know that God is bringing about his purposes. So let's spend our time here. Let's, let's spend some, a little bit of time in prayer. And then Lauren and Parker are going to come up and we're going to close with a couple more worship songs um, but I want to just give us a few moments here, some guided prayer. All right, we're going to pray specifically. Pastor Eric opened us up with some of these, and we, we don't think we can pray too much about these things. And so I'm just going to kind of give some prompts here and just spend some time quietly, wherever you happen to be, seated in this room, seated in your living room, at, at home, however you're listening to this, will you stop what you're doing right now and just pray? So Heavenly Father, thank you for hearing us. We come before you now. We've got a lot of things that are heavy on our heart. 
Uh, but we pray, first and foremost, that you would help us see your glory, the unseen things. And it's in confidence of those realities that we know we can come before you and that you're our Father and that you tell us to bring before you what is concerning, what is troubling, what are things that we need help with. And so hear the prayers of your people now. We pray, God, that you right now would be with those who are vulnerable. And so take a moment, pray for the vulnerable among us who are at greatest risk from this disease, particularly the elderly and those who have existing medical conditions. Take a moment and pray for them. Take a moment and pray for the children of our church and our city that they would be healthy and unafraid, that they would be provided adequate care and meals during the closure of our schools. Take a moment and pray for our government leaders at local, state, national levels who are charged with leading through this crisis. Pray that God would grant them wisdom and grant them courage. Pray for the healthcare professionals who are serving those affected. Pray particularly that they would stay healthy and that the hospitals would not be overwhelmed. Take a moment to pray for so many who are losing income, particularly those who've been living paycheck to paycheck. Pray that they would know God as their provider. take a moment and pray for your neighbors by name. Pray particularly that God would grant you opportunity to love and serve them in tangible ways. And lastly, we would pray for the worship and witness of our church. Pray that God would preserve our community during this time. Things like social distancing, that we would care for one another well and that our love for our neighbors would be a sign of God's presence. Father, we need you. We're thankful for the story that you've invited us into. We thank you, Jesus, that we are part of your victory, that you've conquered Satan's sin and death, and that one day you are going to wipe away every tear, that we will be in your presence, and we long for that day. And until that day comes, help us to live in light of that reality, that we would venture forth with both wisdom but also boldness. And Jesus, you taught us to pray, and so we want to pray this together as we go into a time of worship through song. So, church, I invite you. The words are on the screen. Let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.